it doesn't lean enough into the like weird shit in the way that Ween does. Like I'm a big Ween fan. I mean, my opinion about Ween has changed as I've gotten older, I guess. But I mean, I was a huge Ween fan. Right, and you stopped. You stopped huffing like Raid through a gas mask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, they're all right. Hello and welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints, the show where experienced musicians and longtime friends get together to discuss a randomly selected album from Robert Dimery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This week, we've been listening to Rings Around the World by Welsh band Super Furry Animals. Fun fact, this album has a hilarious cameo appearance from a one Sir Paul McCartney, which we will uh, get into at some point. It's it's probably the most random cameo that you can imagine. Super random. The funny part, though, is that he's done that twice with uh, with separate bands. So we'll get into that momentarily. This was a brand new one for me, I will say. So I'm actually really excited to hear what you all think uh, of this of this record. So. One quick thing before we get started, if you are a fan of the show or if you're listening for the first time and you're digging what you hear, we'd love if you could hook us up with a little uh, review love or a little rating, tell your friends. Although if you're like me, all your friends are on this call right now, so who knows, but (laughs) limited, limited supply, (laughs) but uh, you know, do your best for us. We'd appreciate that. So let's give a quick taste of this album to get started. Um, to give us a little flavor of, of what we're going to listen to here with the song Sidewalk Surfer Girl. Then unexpectedly she woke to giant tears She yelled a pizza and then asked about the kids They're all grown up now on the reservation So let's uh, introduce the group with uh, a tweet length review of of this album. Yeah, I'll start. I'll start this thing off. Hey, everybody, this is Adam. My, in addition to feeling sorry that Alan's going to have to try to pronounce these guys' names later, which is <laughs> buckle up. So my review is: the super furry animals throw the kitchen sink at nearly every song on this album as they take a swing at creating their own magical mystery tour. Even though they managed to shoot themselves in the foot far too many times over the course of this 53-minute mashup, I still added this album to my favorites after only two times through. So now whether or not that warrants them making it onto the list, we'll see. Go on, spoiler alert, Adam. Damn. (laughs) Love it, love it. Hey, this is Rob here. And yeah, my tweet length review, I I should say, this was the first time I had heard this record. I had heard the band before. So I have a little bit of catalog awareness to bring into the conversation, but this one specifically was new for me. 
And I found it to be an experimental, but I want to clarify palatable journey into psychedelic pop, kind of like an alternate history of what pop music could be or could have been. Nice. Let's kick it over to Kate. What you, would you think of this record? I thought it was really overwhelming in a way that I found to be really irritating, save for a couple songs. Like I was like, all right, I can buy this. Yeah, it was like sensory overload. Yeah, that sounds pretty apt. Yeah, that's <laughs> apt, Wait. I say. It's fair. Uh, let's kick it over to James. What, what's your take on this? So this this seems like a sort of hyperactive rehash slash tour of most of our early super furry animals. It lacks a lot of the emotional honesty and craftsmanship that is sort of the hallmark of later super furry animals, and it doesn't really have the punk energy of the earlier band. To be clear, um, I sort of ran through their entire catalog while kind of listening to this record, and I have to say it's my least favorite Super Furry Animals record. It's kind of like 17 tracks of crap with three tracks of solid gold, and uh, that's more or less my... <laughs> so I have to say, I'm, I'm glad you're on the call today, James, because you introduced me to this band initially, maybe 15 years ago, not with this record, but with some of those follow-ups that you just alluded to. One's called Lovecraft, one's called Hey Venus... Maybe there was another one circulating around back in the 2005 to 2010 era. And so, you know, I've had some of that in my head for that length of time. And then I also, like like you did, ran through some of the rest of their catalog. So hoping to bring some of that to the fore. Because with as we've seen in the past, right, with these bands that have long and storied careers, even a kind of a cult status band like this, if you will, I strongly question the methodology that is used to compile this book it feels pretty dashed off in a lot of places as we've discussed and so that i think that becomes i guess spoiler alert i like the band uh, quite a bit i think they are a must-hear band as a general concept but i'm not sure the album warrants it and i suppose that's what we'll be debating that's an interesting take because a lot of the what i came across in researching this and to be clear like i've heard of them like i was aware that this band existed, but I don't know that I've ever heard like an actual note of their music. What I did come across though, a lot of the, the sort of general consensus from the, you know, intelligentsia of music is that this is like their sort of magnum opus, if you will. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear that context um, from you. And, and Well, I'm curious, you might have more information on this album, but my impression from a kind of a glancing read of the history was that this represents the first time they had a lot of resources and felt like they could do an experiment. You know, they could they'd expand their sound and experiment as much as they wanted to because they had money be- because of a new record label or something like that, right? Yeah, totally. So this was, um, and we can sort of walk through their, a brief, you know, stroll through their history, just because, you know, I don't know how many folks are familiar with this band. They are actually from Cardiff, Wales, which I actually tried to look up just for comparison's sake, what what other Welsh bands and artists there were. There is there's <laughs> not many. Zeta Jones, you know. Oh, is that right? <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, another Joe, Tom Jones is Welsh, also, right? Tom Jones. Wow. All right. And and they won John Cale from the uh, universally beloved Velvet Underground, who also oh, makes yes. a... Uh, and universally ignored afterwards solo career. <laughs> 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 Which might be why he hopped on this album. Oh, yeah, I think Adam in particular has a bone to pick with John Cale's viola. <laughs> I mean, we can oh, do... He's a, responsible for that. The violist right, right. I've ever right. heard. <laughs> Sirs, colon. <laughs> but because of... of the fact that there's really not a ton of music that has come out of, of Wales, 
super furry animals are actually regarded as one of the more popular bands to come to come from that area and rob to your point they're definitely like a cult favorite type of band and sort of a, a darling of the you know the underground you know kind of cult scene i i figure i'll start off with a couple reviews or at least like commentary from some reviews that sort of describe how they're perceived by the press this one from billboard so over the course of nine albums, Super Furry Animals has been described as one of the most imaginative bands of our time. While according to a 2005 article in NME, there's a case to be argued that Super Furry Animals was the most important band of the past 15 years. So that's some pretty heady that's, commentary yeah, there. Some, some shoes to fill, if that's accurate. Yeah, that's a, that's bold. I end but con- let's talk context for a second even geographical context wales is forgive me saying so welsh listeners a bit of a backwater within the united kingdom right and as we know england and the united kingdom generally is a powerhouse of music generation and production and millions you know obviously millions of tons of great music has come out of there so i feel like i know they were trying to and seems like they successfully developed their own individual welsh scene around this time and it even has an, a little name the cool cumry cumry is the welsh term for wales which is difficult to pronounce like everything in welsh by the way <laughs> like thank you by the way because i came across that and i was like i don't want to pronounce this so hopefully someone else has this uh <laughs> else takes the, in the back I of their can, hand here i, yeah, consulted, on top of that. I, I consulted is, an audio f- file tough. for that yeah it's spelled c-y-m-r-u <laughs> though i think there'll be some other fun welsh things in this podcast but anyway, right, well, you, have, you have to do the names now. <laughs> I'm just saying that they're the they're the they're the goofy younger brother, you know, coming out. And so I'm just saying that's context to what's going on. And then specifically when they were first coming on the scene, right, it was in a little bit of a response to this growing 90s Britpop movement, the blur oasis era of British music, let's say. So I have to give a little background on Wales. I, I'm a sort of like a fan of weird Welsh culture like i like kind of like yeah in particular i'm a big fan of like the early fireman sam stop motion animation i was like i got into it sort of via my children so i have to kind of give you the the sort of weird like child perspective on kind of stop motion (laughs) animation which i don't know if you're aware is like generally popular i was about to ask i have no idea what you're talking about so So fireman sam is a children's (laughs) stop motion animation Ah, okay Um, okay program it's it's from i think the i'm gonna say the late 70s as well as ivor the engine which kind of go give you both like this like really sort of unusual perspective on like the welsh view of wales right does it look okay. give us a sense of what we're thinking about that does it look something like the rudolph the red-nosed reindeer frosted uh, snowman so yeah ivor the engine is is definitely it's, it's kind of a thing unto itself but it's stop motion that's like 2d so it's going to be kind of like you know an engine moving down a track in a really crappy way um and there's a lot of choral music, I can say that for sure, in Ivor the Engine. They're like really big fans of sort of choral music, Red Dragons, you know, kind of like sort of I, what I understand are sort of key aspects of kind of how Can I just, can I just stop you for one second itself. and say, you already blame this on your children's taste, and yet you completely <laughs> control what they watch? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was secretly my taste. That's true. That's a really good point. I was, I, what I wanted to say was that they're children's cartoons. And I'm, not like, I'm not like sitting around watching children's cartoons by myself. Well, I want to push back on the idea that you control what your kids watch, because I thought I could until my son started watching YouTube and... 
yeah, I apparently need to exert more control. Let me just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I'm much good. I'm much more gooder at controlling what my kids want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to be a free range, range parent here. So yeah, so this band is it's a it's a five piece. I'll call it a rock band, but I'm honestly still struggling with how to describe them. In fact, I think I for, actually forgot to do my my tweet length review, which was something to the effect of. If the Beach Boys and David Bowie met up with Ween and Radiohead and did a bunch of acid, it might come out resembling Accurate. You know, some yeah, form yeah, yeah. of That's a pretty this. good yeah. description of them. Definitely wrote down Ween. Yeah, they have a Ween vibe for sure. Yeah, just really weird, really goofy, but a pretty strong musicianship, I'd say. So they started in 93, right? And I'm going to take a crack at these names here at the, the guys who started this band. It was a bunch of folks from the techno scene who hooked up with some folks from the like Britpop early punk kind of scene. So the techno trio was was Gruff Rise, Dafid Iwin, and Guto Price. And they later added Hugh Bunford and Sian Siaran. I already regret doing these names, but <laughs> I, I think, think that, you I, nailed I, it. I think the main guy's it, name is Griff Reese. Griff. Okay. I, I happen to you. know that because James and I actually went to his concert some years back. Yeah. It was no good. Shit. And he said his full name. <laughs> I am Griff Reese. He said it many times. At the start of the show. <laughs> he said it many times. My name and is pronounced Griff <laughs> Reese. <laughs> I just want to say that into rock? the microphone once again. Griff well, Reese. I, I In case you forgot who you heard to say. I also noticed there's something else. Sorry to be making fun of other people's names, but <laughs> I was listening to them on like KEXP and I heard another version of them playing live also on YouTube. And in both cases, this guy Griff, who's like the lead singer, he introduced the band, of course. And every time when he goes through and says the bass player's name, he says guitar on bass. And both times the host like was like, oh, is that a joke? Because it sounds like he's saying guitar. G- the guy's guitar name, the guy on named, bass. Yeah, the guy's name was playing uh, bass is named guitar. It's just how it's pronounced. But then I noticed this guy Griff was like, he acted as if he had never heard that both times it happened. You know, <laughs> you like, speak English, right? Like you, you know what a guitar is. And you know what you're saying is very close to the word guitar. Well, it's like he was in a band that's like it's like his one of his previous bands. I think is like a really complicated like pun that in both Welsh and English kind of sounds like fuck off everybody. <laughs> it's, it sounds like fuck off everybody in both welsh and english just to be clear that's impressive it is universally powerful so before we get into a little bit more of their kind of backstory i'd love to hear sort of general impressions i know we we skimmed the surface so far but would you all think of of this you know i'm especially curious for the folks who it's sort of a new experience but i'd love to kind of get a little deeper into your thoughts on the album as a whole so I agree with what Kate said, which what it was an assault on your senses, but I feel like those assaults were placed in decent spots. And when you said that they finally got a lot of money, I pictured in my head in Dumb and Dumber when they get all that money and they just go buy the most ridiculous shit in the world. And it's like, I feel like they had this stable of really good songs and they were like, yo, we just got $35 million. Let's saturate this with every bell and whistle and orchestras and synth and weird dubstep drum beats and everything. And it kind of, you kind of lose the, the song, but uh, it's, it's on the border for me of being like great 
or terrible. I feel like there's no in between. I either love this or I'm like, oh, this is just overboard. See, I disagree somewhat. Coming, coming at it from 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 never having heard of this band before. Well, I'll just say that I think of and this listening to this reinforced my idea of them as a as a band that is an exercise in production and arrangement and less so in songwriting. I don't I don't think they're particularly strong at songwriting. I mean, they do that thing which I generally enjoy of of juxtaposing kind of cynical lyrics with with bouncy melodies and things. But they take right. a and they and they're good melodically, I think overall. They they use simple Beatles-esque melodies, but then they adorn the hell out of these productions with all those other elements you talked about. And it feels like that's where the band comes together. Now that said, the recordings I've heard of them live seem to reproduce those things pretty damn well. So, not suggesting that they're not also a great live band. Sure. But I, yeah, I just don't think of them as songwriters. I was going to say to to bring it back to something we've talked about on the podcast, I see stuff like this as almost a spiritual successor to previously discussed 12 Dreams of Dr. Sardonicus. I had a note about spirit in here, yeah. In that it's this it's in this weird pop lean, which we've talked we've touched on a couple times like in the Spirit podcast or I think of that another album we've mentioned that's that's not on Robert Dimery's list that should be that's kind of a weird pop touchstone for me is the unicorns who will cut our hair when we're gone. And I know we haven't defined that genre very well, but I'm just saying it's like a twisted version of pop music where the melodies are strong. And the album doesn't sell. <laughs> and the album does not sell. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. Yeah, that's actually a great point. So the al- this, as you can imagine, despite their critical praise, it, they didn't sell a ton of albums. They're They're almost this group that's like sort of that idea of like being a mile wide, but like an inch deep where they have a lot of songs that are decent, but they, they don't have any of those like really flagship songs that somebody would say, oh yeah, this is definitely their song. In fact, I came across this really random stat that they have the most top 75 hits without reaching the UK singles top 10. So again, it's this idea of like, they've got an extensive body of work, but not a ton of like smash hits or anything that really stands out commercially, which when I read that, I, I thought that was pretty apt for, for this group. So their career is just hitting singles, right? No home runs are just getting people on base for 20 years or whatever it is. A lot of RBIs. Just enough to keep you from giving up the dream entirely, but still sleeping right. on people's floors. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. It's like seeing that guy, I think it was only like five years ago, but I want to say he was definitely crashing on somebody's floor. Aww. <laughs> when I you mean saw him? in a nice way. He's, he seemed like a really nice guy, you know? <laughs> I mean it in a nice way. Oh, the, the I Welsh love his voice, nice too. I think, I, I, think one of the, I think their lead vocal or, and how they harmonize on that lead vocal and that, that pairing or whatever they're doing there, we could talk about it, is one of the strongest and most recognizable aspects of them. And I really like it. I find his vocal very soothing. And like I said, however they're harmonizing it, whatever they're doing semi-consistently through these recordings, I dig the vocal treatment a lot. It's probably my favorite part of them. I liked his voice, too. They use a lot of seemingly Fender Rhodes as well. I think that's not a Wurlitzer. If I do. Am I the only one that thought his voice sounded a lot like, and I don't mean to be crass, but like a lot like Elvis Costello? Like I had a, there were a few songs where I could have swore it was it was him singing it. Elvis like, Costello secretly Welsh. His name is like Will and some black and fat and Yeah, it's probably a deep, 
insult to an Irishman, by the way. No, I know. I'm, right. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Bastard. Like, you bastard. <laughs> get like tossed out of the UK the next time. I'm there. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, so they 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 started out as a proto sort of techno rock outfit. They did a few EPs. They they did two of them actually. One of them. I encourage you all to, to look this up. I don't even know how I would communicate the name of this of this EP, but one of them has been listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest ever EP title. It's literally like 50 letters, and it looks like like someone's cat walked across a keyboard and just spewed out <laughs> 50 random characters. This is so, like a Welsh localized keyboard, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Essentially. And actually, Adam, you mentioned... Uh, or Rob and Adam, you mentioned them getting an infusion of cash uh, upon a record deal. So that actually happened to them twice. So they're, after they cut these first two EPs, they got signed to a sort of indie label called Angst. And apparently they were given like a 20,000 pound advance to get better instruments because I guess they were playing on a bunch of beaters. <laughs> so instead of actually getting like, you know... Gibsons or Fenders or whatever they were probably expected to play. They went out and bought like a bunch of flying V's and yeah. just really weird <laughs> yes, looking. All the rock star shit that they've always wanted. <laughs> it reminded me of that Simpsons where Springfield Elementary gets a bunch of money and Otto's like, you know those, <laughs> those guitars, guitars that are double guitars? Like double guitars? <laughs> I, I think they're basically Otto with their double guitars. <laughs> So yeah, kind of a weird band here. That that, that jo- just to be clear, that joke is in context of Skinner approving that budgetary yeah. request. Yeah. <laughs> it just says double guitars on the. <laughs> is it just me, or is that like a really sorry? Is it like a really weird decision? Like I feel, I kind of feel like there's some bands that if you took away the crappiness of their like fucked up used instruments like Sonic Youth or something like that. Like they're no longer a great band, like potentially. You ruin the vibe. Because like so much of their sound is dependent on these like really unique shit instruments. Well, I think this band is really like tied to the notion of underdogness too. You know, I think that that's really where Griff Reese, sorry if I said that wrong, is sort of coming from to begin with. He's really like, a really fairly staunch Welsh nationalist, like in a really real way, in a way that's like, to me, almost like it's difficult to like get really involved with that psychology in my mind. But I know that he's sort of is like genuinely sort of a champion of kind of weird little nations and their like own unusual culture is sort of the way he's looking at it. At least that's that's what I understand from. Kind I of guess I just thought it was weird background. this notion of like here's this band that we believe in so much we're willing to throw a bunch of money at them, but for the purposes of like buying better equipment or something just seems because then it's like they could change and then the world being their oyster or something with a bunch of money like doesn't necessarily then you just start like fucking around to the point that seems really ludicrous. I mean I don't know limitations are good I would say sometimes. Yeah, well, I think there's also, I agree with you. I think there's a, there's like an essence of that, you know, if you go see a punk show, like they're not up there with like a Federa or these like boutique instruments. They're up there with like the shittiest instrument they could afford when they were like 13. Right, a squire. And they've learned to make those sound mm. decent. And I think I've told the story before, but I remember my a friend of my stepdad saying once, he was real into music and he was talking about the Ramones and he said that, their music got worse 
the better that they learned how to play their instruments. <laughs> and I guess the logic was like, you kind of lose some of that like raw, uninhibited, you know, kind of spirit. So yeah, I definitely think there's something to that. I'm also imagining them now on like Lovecraft, like sitting around the studio playing Flying V's. I mean, James has a bass with two strings on it right now in his room. You know, you got to go with the DIY. Right. But I, I want to push back again. Certainly that scenario can happen, but I think that was a, there were some mixed metaphors in there. I think we should be excited when, when a money organization, when a money man believes in an artist and then hands them some money and says, do what you will with this. And they choose to buy better instruments and then choose to learn how to use those instruments to make what they want to make. That is inherently a good thing. I guess I'm just a little surprised because I, I think of this band and have thought of this band previously to this week as, and this record comes off as a band that's very like tone aware, meaning the timbre of the instruments and, mm-hmm. and chooses everything in a very purposeful way. And it's it's not indie sounding. It sounds very heavily, highly produced. There's string arrangements and lots of great synth tones and cool guitar tones and stuff on there. And I'm just pointing out there are other records that I love, even the aforementioned Unicorns record that have a lot of toy sounding instruments on them, for instance. But that's what they wanted to use. So I just there's nothing wrong with being better, either better at your instrument or having better gear if you take the time to learn what it can do and make it work for you. I'm not, yeah, I guess like to backpedal a little bit, I, I agree with you, Rob. I'm just wondering, I guess my sense of, you know, what I started at the beginning of our conversation by saying like, I'm just, it's like the sensory overload kind of experience just seems, and and then wondering if that's somehow tied into this kind of seemingly limitless opportunity for like production value and gear and all this stuff I wonder if it's just like oh holy shit we can just do whatever whatever like anything goes it makes me feel that way I wonder if that's what is translating Uh, hard to say well I I will say that I think we could all agree the record is indulgent and some of the productions are indulgent yes but as I wrote that down and I know we've thrown that term around before on this podcast I don't know that that's a bad thing isn't all art inherently indulgent I mean shouldn't you just be leaning into whatever the weird thing you want to do so that doesn't I'm just like as a that doesn't bother me on its own but it certainly is indulgent but I think it's not weird enough it doesn't lean enough into the like weird shit in the way that Ween does, like I'm a big Ween fan. I mean, my opinion about Ween has changed as I've gotten older, I guess. But I mean, I was a huge Ween fan. Right, and you stopped. You stopped huffing like Raid through a gas mask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, eh, they're all right, I guess. But I mean, I. And then I was thinking of like Nirvana for some reason, and sort of like the crescendos that happen in like Nirvana songs are really like I'm super compelled that by the time it goes like batshit, I'm like so into it. So it's like I feel like they're not rock enough or something and they're not weird enough. They're like playing like back and forth across this line that doesn't I'm kind of not convinced or something. This is where this is where I have to say that like later album next very next album Phantom Power is like I think easily their best record. And if like, if I had to pick of anything that they produced, you know, for their entire career, it's like, it rides that line perfectly. It has that very, you know, it sort of is like a, it's a sort of sheen of experimentalism on top of like a really solidly produced, almost like sort of alt pop country record or something like that, which is really, really nicely put together. 
I'm remarkably surprised to hear you say that, to be honest, because I don't know the record super, super well, but I did give it a couple spins, partly because it's pretty close in the chronology to this one. And I know a couple of the later records beyond that really well. And to me, Phantom Power is lacks a ton of experimentalism, which made it much more boring to me. It is much more palatable and pop friendly. I almost, in my mind, I started associating with it. Like maybe that's their last gasp of trying to have a hit single. And then they kind of give up and go back to doing whatever the heck they want. <laughs> Which, fair Go enough. Back sleeping on their buddy's floor. But yeah, like, like fair enough for them. <laughs> and listen, if you subjectively feel this isn't weird enough, well, you know, that's perfectly reasonable, right? But I do think there's something too, and the reason, ultimately, just to loop it back, the reason we're discussing the album, I think, if we can give Dimery some credit for why he might have put it on here, is because the first time someone gets money and they have an opportunity to make, quote unquote, what they truly want to make and they have the resources to do it, that is an important moment in any artist's career, I would assume. Yeah. So we got to, you know, this reasonable thing to look at. Sure. Well, and I think they were very clear about that. You know, there's no like preconceptions. Like they wanted to make a grandiose album. Like it wasn't that this just sort of happened spontaneously. Like this was definitely their goal to make something that was a little bit out there. Um, I think let, let's get into some of the tracks here because I think it'll help us like, you know, provide some some context here. We we started off listening to the track "Sidewalk Surfer Girl." Let's uh, let's just give that another you know few moments here to uh, to marinate. Yeah, dude, this was the the difference between the opening track and this had me wondering what's coming next. Right. Again, coming into a completely raw, it's like, wait, again, you walk over to your Spotify or your phone and you're like, did it jump albums? Did it jump artists? No, this is the second track. All right, friggin' hell, like this rocks. I was totally, totally in love with this. And, and Alan, you had mentioned before the term about a, a melody living uh, rent-free in your head. This was one of those tunes where I've had Sidewalk Surfer Girl spinning around in my head since probably the second time through, you know, so well done, gents. Yeah, I hear that. I feel like the one thing I've picked up and, you know, I'm not nearly as versed in their entire catalog. Again, like my entire experience with them has been compressed over the last like seven days. But it seems like they they can write a hook, you know, they can write something that has that kind of sugary sweet essence that kind of sticks in your ear and makes you keep humming that over and over again. Um, and I definitely thought this song fit, fit that bill. This it's made me think of a couple things. One, I sort of hate the title. So that kind of put me in a negative headspace, but it's definitely catchy. Is it, what is it about the title? Is it too much like skater boy? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little nineties for me. Yeah. And right. So right. I, totally. Okay, I, I, get I that. felt like the, we talk sometimes about this record came out in, I believe, in 2001. Is that right, Alan? Correct. Okay. I mean, right on the cusp of decades here. But this reminded me more of the 90s in a lot of ways, and I felt like that held it back. Everything from like how the guitar breaks in in the verse, the way the chorus breaks loud, in. Quiet, to the, loud. Yeah, the tone of the guitar, the way the delay effect on his vocal, all of it just felt like 90s grunge 
you know, and it made me think like, but it was a little five years behind, like maybe in Wales, they didn't get Siamese dream until 1999 or something. (laughs) That said, definitely catchy. And I think the Beach Boys were already mentioned, but the other band that I kept thinking of throughout this record with these super catchy melodies and the way the harmonies were arranged was ABBA. So a more European touchstone, but like kind of, kind of some pop gold in there. That definitely, I don't remember if it was this song or what song, but I definitely had a like dancing queen. Is that, is that an ABBA song? Like I, yeah, I notated okay. that, that there was something that had that kind of angle to it. This was definitely, it was definitely poppy, which I, I appreciated. I I had a note on here that, I assume if you were to look at their digital track or if they had like a mixing board that there's 75 tracks that are lit up at one point <laughs> in this song. And I would have fun just randomly muting 15 of them and see if I have a little more. Because at the start of the second verse is when it feels like they're just like throwing stuff in and I lose track of the melody. I can't hear the words that he's saying. There's just like things swooping in from the left and the right. It's just too much. Like I I get it. I get what they're doing, but for me, it's just they just you know, not overindulgent, but they just went too far with it. It's like it's like the stu- they get overwhelmed by the studio tricks. I mean, there's that vocal that has. I think this is the one that has those like intense like like square wave dropouts out of the vocal or something like that, and it just starts swirling and like you're just like oh fucking calm down, right. guys. <laughs> right. Yeah, I so yeah, I, I I agree. I think that's what I was feeling too that the production went a little too far on some of these tracks and that, that drew away from, and just to back up my ABBA comparison, what I think of as being ABBA like is this idea. And we've talked about this in reference to the Beatles too, but there are some other bands post Beatles that do it well. And I think ABBA is one of them that just, there's a melody that you can follow throughout the entire song, whether there's a singer going or not, it's like melody, then counter melody, then the melody's picked up by another instrument and it's this like melodic feeling, bouncy melody throughout the whole thing that makes it feel very catchy. But the artfulness that make the Beatles so great and that maybe make even ABBA so great are how they then surround those things. So here, you're right, Adam, you said it better than I could have said it. I was getting lost. I was losing that thread of the melody, which I think was intended to be there. I kept feeling like I was having this weird experience where I was almost feeling like it was some kind of 70s like ensemble kind of style band that I can't think of I can't think of a specific band right now but I kept kind of getting this like occasional feelings of like this kind of 70s like ensemble like participatory thing happening and then it would go away into where it just felt like one dude and his beef with the world or something frequently like it just like (laughs) and I don't know what what made it go back and forth between these two feelings like it felt very like communal in a lot of ways and then it would instantly go into this just like gripe or something that I didn't know how to reckon with I was like it was just emotionally confusing constantly I think that 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 is is something that I would say is almost like a thematic thing in their band. They're, they're, they kind of have like a feeling of they're going to play this like they want. It's like everybody's dying to play like this big like crowd like you know like let's get everybody singing type of thing. And then like they just like immediately as soon as they hit the part where like the crowd would start singing, they immediately pull out of it and like go right back to doing something else entirely. Yeah, I I I'd like some of that. As far as I, I hate when someone hits me over the head with the melody, you know, like I think we listened to something recently where I just and I, I can't pinpoint what it was, but 
just kept going back over and over and over to the the chorus or to the the hook and sometimes that leaves me feeling just a little bit like fatigued and tired so i i sometimes like the switching up but i totally hear what you're saying there i think this song also for me sort of represented a, a general criticism of the album that i have which was it felt like there was a hook a chorus and there was the the bones of a song and then they would take it for another three minutes of like it was like you'd reach a point in the song and they were like okay it's noise time and right, they would hit the noise right. buttons and, and it wasn't like, and let's go into outer space it's like <laughs> we did the hook in the chorus we're done yeah. yeah and i don't know if it's a way to make it feel like a a demo type of song can stretch out to you know four or five minutes but it it, it left me feeling a little bit empty in in some spots i agree okay let's uh let's listen to the title track well this the sort of title track from this album it's uh drawing rings around the world That's a great transition. I gotta say that right off the bat. It's a great transition out of the previous t- song, you know. They had some really nice transitions on this record. I took note of that a few times, and the the way we're going through the tracks doesn't necessarily lead us to be talking about it, but I think they were very purposeful how they switched gears. Yeah. Yeah, this felt to me like the most accessible sort of pop-ish song. In fact, I in some of the research I was doing, I saw that they did a version of this on Conan back in you know two thousand one. Oh wow! This okay. Out. And to your point earlier, Rob, I think it was you that said this that like it actually sounded, it, it held up right. It, you know, it, you sucked a lot of the effects out of it, but it still held up as like a pretty decent song. Again, though, for me, I love this song and it's been stuck in my head as well. But it also suffers from the repetitive sort of outro where it's 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 not a super extended outro but it's enough that you're not sure what what they're trying to say or you know essentially like why they're you know pulling this uh, you know this hook out to this feels like the nine like a 90s shtick where you would you know i just i thought of weezer and a handful of weezer tunes that do this but they were weezer tunes from the mid nineties. So back to Rob's point of like, Oh, they're kind of caught, you know, in, in a decade. So they're, they're reusing the, the little Reluctant tricks from back then. Find he's stuck in the nineties. again. No, they, I wrote down sweater song because they literally use that people talking in the background, like planning to go to a party. Right. And there's like phone effect. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. There's also the weird, like phone transmissions at the end, which, yeah, it was cool. I don't know. It was a little reminded me of like uh, that song Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, the Wilco song. I don't know which came first, but there was a lot of that like weird space transmission shit going on. I, 
my commentary on this one was you don't have to put the whole world in there you know it's just like we don't need to hear every single instrument that you've ever touched <laughs> again in <your> life. <laughs> i think it i think it could have been a radio hit was this the one they released as the, the single then sounds like if they're promoting on conan probably yeah i think it was one of them actually the I think most people consider the single from this song is, is that song juxtaposed with you, which uh-huh. is actually their, their most popular. If you go on Spotify, it's sort of their number one, most listened to song for whatever that's worth. But, um, but I, I do think this was like among the, the singles. Interesting. Yeah. I felt excited when this song, when I, when this song came in my, in my playlist or whatever of, of the tunes, I was like, Oh, okay. Oof. And then all this, like, radio like you guys mentioned all this like weird effect kind of stuff that seemed like uh, trying to add this like cinematic storytelling to the song that I just wanted it to be like a pop song I was like why are you doing this I was like finally like okay I'm getting into a thing that doesn't feel so frenetic and I got so bummed out when that started happening I was just like ah some part of this and i mean i just don't remember i have to i mean like yeah, i don't remember 2001 period i just don't i have no recollection of that year <laughs> but i mean i will say that like there has to be have been some kind of critical reception of the concept of like let's just make fucking noise on a record and like let's throw every goddamn thing in the world like at something there has to have been some kind of critical like desire to hear that or that there has to have been some kind of like this type of thing is selling at the moment or something like that because i just feel like the decision making that they're going through here is it's not supporting the, it's not supporting the emotional qualities of the music it's not supporting the music itself it's not supporting the song in many cases it's working against the song and against like the the inherent qualities that i think are really good of what they're doing and the production just goes into left field like over and over again I didn't feel like it was like more stuff. I felt like it was like, it felt like they were making a really conscious creative choice there. Whereas in other songs, I felt like it was just like a lot of stuff. That particular addition and those effects, like towards the end of that particular track, felt like I felt like, oh, I'm missing something. They're doing this like to create an intentional sort of like direct me somehow. And I just couldn't jump on the back of the train or something like I couldn't understand. It didn't feel to me like kitchen sink. It felt like, yeah, maybe it was referencing something specific or there was like a super popular trope or something that was happening then that I'm just not remembering as well. But it felt it did not feel like kitchen sinky in the other in the in the way a lot of other tracks did. It just felt like a choice that to me just didn't resonate at all. One thing I I did like about this song What's the harmonies? I mean, they're one thing you cannot take away from these guys are the vocal arrangements, the vocal stacking, the tone, the yeah. timber of their voices. They're really, really just spot on. And you I should watch some Ivor the Engine, dude. There's <laughs> a lot, a lot of harmonies <laughs> there in there. Is. It's like I, right. I believe there is actually like a pretty serious like like Wales has like a really serious culture of choral music. All right. All right. Well, it, it's coming through here because I the one through line that I was able to kind of latch on to throughout this album, even it was doing the crazy freakouts, was that I knew it was going to come back and there was going to be another harmony at some point in the next song. And I'd be like, oh, this is so freaking good. And without a doubt, there was. As And this is high praise coming from uh, the son of a piano tuner, old man Adam here, <laughs> grumpy, pitchy Adam. The curmudgeon. 
Exactly. You're out of, you're out of tune. You're 30 cents off. Yeah, oh, you, Adam, Adam, who who declared that Madonna is, has no singing talent whatsoever. <laughs> well, she's pitchy, and I don't like her voice. Sorry. I think you mean Sorry, Madonna. Madonna. <laughs> Maybe who you're thinking of. Yeah, I agree. If you get the Adam seal of, of harmonic <laughs> approval, then you're you're doing that right. Okay, Let, let's go on to the next track, which I, th- I think we'll have some good conversation around. It, it was called Receptacle for the Respectable. great title it's a great title it's a little bit of a mouthful to say so i'm glad i only have to say it that one time but this is i I just want to point out this is the song that features paul mccartney the paul mccartney sir paul sorry sir paul mccartney (laughs) (laughs) i think i called him sir earlier so i i I figured that was a blanket um salutation sir paul mccartney is credited as playing the celery and carrots <laughs> on this album. I shit you not, or on this just track, I shit you not. Apparently, he had done something similar for, it was either a Brian Wilson album or a Beach Boys album back in the day. And what they asked him to do was call them up on a phone and chew celery <laughs> and carrots. And that comprised like a lot of the rhythmic background and they just kind of looped that throughout the song so yeah i guess and what's funny is it, i was reading one of the quotes from why that was what they asked him to do and and they were like well we already had a bass player so like what else did we need him to do and it's like you got fucking paul mccartney <laughs> he can play more than bass you know really you can't really hear it until the song kind of slows down about halfway through at that point, when it's a bit more open, you can hear the chewing. But I wonder, like, if I'm talking to Paul McCartney and I can either have him chew into a, his cell phone or just get an autographed picture from him and call it a day, I'm probably going to go with the autograph picture. Maybe they secretly did and then they chewed into their own cell phones. Oh! <laughs> oh. I was going to say, Adam, that's why you're not a famous recording artist, a cult status <laughs> recording artist. <laughs> I wonder this if Apple Core is a pro weirdo artist move, right? Here. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if Apple Core was demanding, you know, like songwriting credits for <laughs> for this album. I know they're pretty pretty ruthless. It's really weird. I keep wondering, like, what the like are they buddies? Like, if it were me and if I had made that decision, it was because it would be because I don't like Paul McCartney and I just want to like exploit <laughs> his fandom. And I'd be like, oh, Paul, like, I love you, man. Can you do this thing for our band that you're like, you know, a fan of or whatever? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, ha, 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 what a douche or something. Like, I, that would be like my... Like, it's just a big roast. <laughs> so it makes me wonder, like, what is their relationship? four-part harmonies with himself. 
What are they? Well, I think. Well, just I think it was that somebody in the in the group saw saw him at a show and was really drunk. I, I'm trying to figure out now, and persuaded him to to do it, and he was like sure so i you know and and the quote here i'm looking at he took it with good nature you kind of see how far you can go sometimes we figured we already had a bass and singers so we really didn't need any more musicians so we figured he could crunch vegetables (laughs) (laughs) But, but as you mentioned it is a reference to something he did on a beach boys record many years before so that must have been something that they pulled from the liner notes in their youth thought was weird and interesting and kind of brought back up as a reference I wonder if they wrote the song after getting Paul because this has a ton of Beatles things on it. It's got the Beatles beat, which is dum clap 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 clap. It's got that Beatles beat. It's got a harmonica. It's got those swooping Beatles harmonies. Oh, so I wonder if they forget. wrote it. I mean, happiness is a worn pun after all. No, I mean, don't forget all the uh, Cookie Monster vocal sections that the Beatles oh, put geez. on there. The Cookie Monster vocals are too fucking much for me. I actually, <laughs> I think I actually had to fast forward by the time they, I, like, <laughs> I just couldn't make through it. Alan, can we drop in the, uh, the switch over to the death metal Cookie Monster scream? <laughs> I don't know how we could talk about the song and not drop that in. <laughs> So obviously much. <laughs> around this sort of three minute mark, it, it veers into, I want to call it death metal, but it, I think the cookie monster is actually a more genre specific, uh, accurate description. Apparently they, as they were producing this song, they were like fucking around with pro tools and I don't think they knew what they were doing. And so they <laughs> accidentally looped the bass f- for like an extended period of time and just went into some weird dissonant like minor key jam and just started going off. This was one song where they just totally admitted like we just were decided to fuck around. <laughs> we, we didn't care. Around. We were just going to be goofy. And, you know, this to me felt like the most like ween esque of <laughs> definitely of the record. So they got Sir Paul McCartney to go in there off the rails jam track. That's yeah. a, <laughs> it's quite, it's, quite it's, a, it's a choice. I mean, it is a choice. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Next song that we are going to check out is a song song called Shoot Doris Day. I can't get that out. (laughs) Let's, uh, Let's give that a quick spin. kick this one over to you because i know that you had had a lot of strong 
feelings about this track. Yeah, I I on the on the text thread, I this song's vocals, the harmonies and the arrangements gave me goosebumps when when all the vocals came swooping in the first time around. Whatever chord they're hitting just hit all the right spots for me, and I was just in love with this tune. And this is one of the songs where they don't oversaturate. It kind of stands alone as its own, not oversaturating, but they don't do any weird freakouts, which I appreciate. I was like, oh, it's a song, and it starts and it ends, and I don't have a seizure halfway through. It, they even do uh, they they do a key change at like the two minute mark, which is really nice. It's just lots of really tasty things in here that I totally loved. There are some feelings that I just can't get through without turning to a military coup. Is a really great turn of, uh, there of you phrase go. as well. It's really nice. Which reminded me of an Elvis Costello line. I feel like he mm-hmm. swooped in and uh, <laughs> laid down those two yeah. those two those yeah. two lines. Welsh nationalism strikes again. Right. Yeah, I thought I thought this was a, was a decent tune. I definitely thought it had that Phil Spector wall of sound thing that I you know maybe they were trying to cop that specifically, but just the grandiose orchestral you know sort of situation there. But I do feel like it was an honest song, and and you're right, it didn't feel over engineered other than you know the orchestral arrangements. But it, it just felt like a, a decent song. My one criticism, I don't know if anyone on the call is actually going to get this reference, but if anyone is a fan of the band Fish, after like, well, most people, James specifically, would probably argue they didn't do any good material. But specifically <laughs> after like 2000, 2001, they've just been coming out with albums that are just kind of sappy and they're they're okay, but there's just like a milk toast kind of nature to it. That just and, and there's a it's a distinct flavor that I feel like I can pick out. And this song had a little bit of that for me where the kind of sappiness was a little too thick for me. But otherwise, I think it was a decent track. Are you saying I like sappy music? I'm saying you're if so you're, you're spot on, <laughs> sir. I like sappy music. That's, I'm trying to say I'm you're a fan of, of late stage fish. And right. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Oof. Is that pre or post farmhouse? <laughs> very much post all right all right yeah it felt like they were it was kind of doing what i was saying about the ensemble sort of like for lack of a better word wholesome which isn't really accurate but i don't i can't think of a better word right now but that kind of like communal feeling felt on point in the song whereas that they just abandoned it so much halfway through other songs or in parts and here i was kind of i felt like some relief a little like oh great you just did it you just did it for the whole thing like that's nice you just did it for the whole song yeah. you made it we know you can do it boys <laughs> right you can do it thank you for thank you for not pressing the noise button <laughs> awesome okay so let's move on to what we sort of talked about earlier as being one of the marquee singles from this this album which is called juxtaposed with you Without me back now 
Let's see you pick up. I'll stop and give you a leg up. Overpriced on real estate. Surreal estate. The highest price they've been today. Creating new song on the record to me personally i it's also very 70s as opposed to the other stuff being pretty 90s and i liked particularly the transition into the song after i can't remember exactly what came before it but it was a harsh noise section that then was juxtaposed pun intended with this song in a very chill sweet you know arrangement so the title and the placement on the record seemed very purposeful also kind of I wanted to call out at least the early non-ironic or I don't know maybe it was ironic use of autotune before it meant something different and I, I went back and looked up what I think of as the advent of the early advent of autotune was that share song do you believe in oh love? yeah that had come out a couple of years number before, one autotune but it's we still weren't in we were not in t-pain right. by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I was gonna say what's where when does t-pain enter the picture at least five to seven years after this I think so is that autotune or is that a vocoder or is it both? Like I, am I mixing my, it might be, it might be both. I have, I have voice changer written down. <laughs> it had that like it's Daft like one Punk of those, kind know, of thing. I am Batman. Like, type. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I like this song. I, I will say, and maybe this is me just being kind of a, a hermit and, you know, generally hating people in general, but the line you've got to tolerate all the people that you hate. Oh my God. That line just stuck with me so bad. Cause I just hate everyone. But so I, I will, I will assume that they wrote that song just for me. Wait. And I'm the curmudgeon so, on this call. Wait, I, I gotta, I gotta narrate my, my comments on the previous song. No sympathy. I remember writing stuff like this and now I know why nobody listened to it. And then juxtaposed <laughs> with you lust strings to pay off after that last turd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, also, I think was it no sympathy? There was one song we didn't put it on the focus list that I thought had a kind of a direct rip of "Let's Spend the Night Together," and I think it was no sympathy because even the term sympathy made me think of the Rolling Stones. Also, like that was a sly reference to that they knew that they were ripping off ah. the "Let's Spend the Night Together" part. Anyone notice? Is that? this another Welsh nationalism thing? Like, is this like they're like, "Fuck the fucking Rolling Stones, I'll fucking kill you"? It's just one uh, fifty-five minute airing of grievances. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. like weird to think about that. So we removed "Run Christian Run" from from the uh, focus list here, but I I did you know I I actually wrote commentary on every single song. Oh wait, but... I thought I left that one on there. Oh, I'm not sure. Let me see. James doesn't use Spotify, Alan. Yeah, that's true. I'm sorry about that. No, no, it's all good. Yeah, I took off. James calls the radio station. Wait for them to play it. And then Excuse me. I, uh, it's... Hello. I'm one of your avid listeners. I gave you $25 last year. Can you play track 13 off this random album and you're at home hitting play and record on your little Casio? Wait, not only that, you're putting tape on the little hole on like an existing yes. cassette tape so that you can repurpose it. As a... Right. Yes, that's true. It's true. It's a cassette tape I found on the ground off outside of a dumpster. It's a Rolling Stones tape. 
<laughs> fun fun fact about tapes the first tape i ever owned had no writing on it it was something i found on the street when i was like seven <laughs> brought it home what? and it was it's like the ghetto boys it, even better it ended up being master of puppets what? which i needed some like oh. fucking thug down the street to come down and tell me i'm like who is this you seem what? like you would know this what is he's this? like oh this is metallica master of puppets and i was like oh this is cool nice <laughs> so yes yeah, a little bit of uh podcast trivia there that's good so last time we want to talk about is a song called run christian run let's let's give that a quick turns out apparently like you know this is what i come to the super furry animals for this particular vibe and i think that they do it really nicely here this was this was like the payoff that i personally had been waiting for since the first track of this album i'm just like uh where when when and this was it for me i like it i like it too it's a real slow build i don't think the song needs to be seven and a half minutes or whatever it is but i i do agree that this is the vibe i like in them and i've come to expect I just felt like it didn't hold up as well to a close listen. I liked it a lot in the background, and on my first couple runs through the album, this stuck out of my mind. You know, as like a standout, I still like the chorus melody, and I think it builds and stuff. And the song, to be fair, does come to some kind of crescendo near the end, but then it hits that crescendo, and then it continues on for like another forty-five seconds, which just feels like there's, yeah. There's definitely editing problems and run length issues, I'd say, throughout this record. This record is far too long. Definitely, and I, I was getting exhausted by the time I was I was through even the first listen. Of it. I think that's a good call out. Yeah, I think it clocks in at around fifty three minutes, and yeah, I, I think I experienced some exhaustion to nearing the end. Regarding this song, uh, again, I'm a sucker for those really nice stacked harmonies, and I I dug it. But yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit on the long side. Well, we've we've touched on this before, but it's a product of its era, right there. The physical medium of vinyl only allows for about 40 minutes of material, give or take a couple of minutes, right? And then in the CD era, which this was a part of, we suddenly had like, it, it turns out 40 minutes was the right amount of time, you know? <laughs> and, and so people were getting more and more indulgent. And then I think since then they started to pull it back, especially as now vinyls, vinyl prints have become more common, but we're kind of... I'd say we're kind of in the late stages of the CD era here, probably. Like, where would their editorial choices have been if this was going to get, like, printed on vinyl or something? Like, 
Is it shortening that song? I don't think so. It's a good question because I also felt that I, and just to be clear, I'm not a against like long songs. We all like music that is super long. I just felt like this was the wrong choice of a song for them to take it the distance because they get so weird on the other tracks that I feel like if you were going to pick one, and I think the song before this, maybe it's no sympathy was also in the six, seven minute range, but I don't think there was a single chord change in this track. And again, like, you know, we're, I think we all love the song echoes by Pink Floyd, which is a half hour maybe, and kind of minimal chord changes. It's it's one out al- it's one album side meaning just about twenty one minutes just <laughs> okay. just to stay consistent with what we just said. Fair point. So I'm not criticizing long songs in general, but this to me seemed like the one song. It's it's kind of country ish. It reminded me of, of like an old school like all country type of track. It just didn't feel like if you were gonna take one this long that it should be this one. And I do agree that it built up to a nice crescendo and and. I just think they could have gotten there in a, in a much shorter, you know, kind of time frame. Actually, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back just slightly on what I said, which is because of the nature of the melody, it did actually lend itself to a little bit more stretching out compared to these other bouncy sort of syrupy poppy melodies that we talked about earlier. The rings around the world melody grates me a little more when it goes too long because it's so nursery rhyme pop perfection, you know, and there were a few other ones like that. Whereas this one took a little more time to pay off. So I guess I do kind of, I sympathize with that. Decision. Sure. Uh, let me, let me lay the lyrics of this one on you. Cause these, these are some dark fucking lyrics. I have to say, I mean, which I guess we can delete my expletive. Those are some dark lyrics. Oh, yeah, I have to say. We're definitely a uh, PG um, podcast. Yeah, pardon me. That's <laughs> for the, uh, for the church ladies in the audience. <laughs> yeah. So well, we this got, is a religious got, this, this, apparently, type of song. This, so. this would appear to be, this would appear to be an anti-Christian song. Right. Rapture waiting for that moment, postponement, suspension of irrational movement. So bang on the hour of 12. Uh, we'll, to the first clearing, we'll delve with guns to our heads for we know that heaven awaits us. Uh, dreaming of that perfect home by the sun. Run, Christian, run. I'll skip the chorus and what have you. With women and children in line, the men will gather behind. With knives to their throats, they'll depart on the midnight train to Jordan. That's nice. You know, it's dark, though. I mean, it's it's not... It doesn't appear to be a joke. You know, it's like it's really... Wait, did he slip in a midnight train to Jordan? Yes, I was did. wondering that is... if that's what you said too. That's that's nice. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. yeah. It's, this is a dark song, and it's it's surprising. I mean, but at the same time, you know, does it does it really warrant the seven minutes and thirty seconds? I don't know. I don't. I think they kind of yeah. They're they're into pretty... ooh ooh ooh. I think by the time they like hit minute five. Just my mind just flashed to like a, some guys in bed, full Bedouin gear doing a duop version of Midnight Train to Jordan. <laughs> That's what you get for listening to lyrics. I didn't even know this song. <laughs> okay. So that, I think, rounds out the the tracks that we had on the docket to discuss tonight. I think all that's left is to enshrine this album into the uh, the Hall of, of Legends that this podcast has decreed or, or to cast it aside as rubbish, as they would say. Let's let's go around the horn and seeds spilt upon the barren earth <laughs> of Jordan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The moment of truth. Adam, does this belong on the list? So when I was looking through Wikipedia, there was I thought it was a genre 
that was highlighted in blue that I was going to click on. I clicked on it, and instead it took me to an online music web magazine from the UK in the early 2000s. It was called Drowned in Sound. I thought that this band was part of a genre called Drowned in Sound, which would actually be pretty, pretty appropriate. Having said that, though, I really dug this album. It was challenging in parts. Uh, other parts I, I just absolutely loved, but I, I think that, uh, yeah, without overanalyzing it, I think, you, I think you should listen to this. It, it makes the list for me. I think this is, a, this is a really cool, fun album, challenging at times, but, but still worth a listen. Kate, what, what do you think? I say nay. Maybe I'm an outlier. I don't know. But like as a fan, a big fan of noise music and a big fan of like pop music. I mean, I can go to all those places and be super into something. And this I, th- I felt like it was like an identity crisis or something that I couldn't. I just couldn't find myself or like get lost in it I just kept getting pulled out of where it was taking me and not in a not in an exciting surprise kind of way just in a like annoying kind of way for, for the most part although there were some lovely moments um that we've discussed I I say nay fair enough James what would say you so I'm a big fan of Super Furry Animals. I really, really like this band. And I mean, I have to say this. I think that literally I like every single one of their records better than this record. This is my least favorite Super Furry Animals record. Um, and I think that if, you know, if it were me and I were I and I were sitting around making a list of 1001 records to listen to, I would put Phantom Power on there or I would put Lovecraft on there. I would definitely not put this record on there. Um, this I think was really a big budget experiment. I think it failed. And I mean, I'll say that just kind of out and out. And I'm sorry. I honestly like want to apologize to the band for saying that if they ever listen to this secretly, I love your music. I don't like this record. Griff is sitting there with a tear, single tear streaming. <laughs> right. down I know. I mean, it would like, it would like hurt if I don't want to hurt his feelings for real. It's like, I just like <laughs> made a lot of good stuff and this is not it. Sorry. <laughs> so I'm really conflicted on this one but I think it's going to have to be a qualified no because like James, I think this band is great. And I do think as a band, they're an absolute must hear. And I do not think this is their best work for all the reasons we described. There's more good than bad on this record for sure. I didn't have a, wasn't hard to listen to or anything. I don't, I enjoyed my time this week, but I do think they grew into themselves better as time went on in some of those later records, I would probably recommend Lovecraft, my personal opinion of the one that gets thrown on the most in my house. I am conflicted about it because I know that's, you know, I know we vacillate on what exactly this vote means, but I want to be clear. I do like the band. And I, and not only that, I want to support weird, twisted pop bands like this. I like that they're experimental. I like that they're genre in specific. I like that they play around with different decades and recycle ideas and are trying things even when it doesn't work. I really appreciate and respect that. I I respect taking a big budget, you know, record budget and sinking it into something that you think is going to work or at least be interesting. It's like they experimented with a lot of money here, clearly. And whether or not I think it paid off, I think that's worth doing because like there's not a lot of opportunities that that has happened in history, right? Yes. So it's cool for that reason. If you have to listen, 
if you, yeah, if this is your only opportunity to listen to them, by all means, listen to it. But if not, I suggest going a little later into their catalog, like we've talked about. That's where I'm landing on it. So I guess, Alan, your vote doesn't really matter, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I love having the no pressure vote where I can kind of vote my conscience, as they say. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. And often my criteria for these types of things is if there's a band that I think you should listen to, and this is the only album that's on the list that definitely weights it into you should listen to it. Although I think their very first album, which is one called Fuzzy Logic, I don't know, James, how familiar you are with that or Kate, since you all seem to be, or Rob, more more familiar with this album or with this band. But I, I, I'm going to take off my kind of music critic hat and just say, I, despite some of the criticisms I had, I think, I think you can look at it objectively and say, I don't like some of the choices they made here. I think it's uneven in a lot of spots. But if I just am a music fan for, for a minute... I just liked it. Like, I, I think there was enough here that I'll definitely play it again. I think it's going to go into my rotation. And it could be because this was my introduction to this band in general. And so because I don't have that context, I went from zero to having exposure to to this really cool band. So for me, that left an impression. And, you know, because of that, I'm, I'm going to say yes. But again, my vote doesn't matter. I'm outvoted, but seriously, those of you who who liked the vocals and those of you who liked a lot of the production ideas, they really did improve. And I think that you know, I'd have to say, yeah, Lovecraft or Phantom Power, really, really worth listening to. No, Griff, Griff, Aww. James hates you. His address <laughs> is as follows. <laughs> we, we went to see Griff at the. Uh, where did we go, James? We saw him somewhere in San Francisco. <laughs> That's true. He could have punched Can me in I the face in, in one... person if he really wanted to. So. It was at the chapel, I think. Oh, okay. I was going to drop in one one unrelated uh, thing that I noticed in our research that didn't come up, which is just a fun thing for record nerds, is that I read that Cardiff, where these guys are from, is home to the oldest record store in the world. It opened in 1894. Whoa. Like continuously what? operating? That's sort? crazy. Yes, continuously operating, oldest continuously operating wow. record store, yeah. And they were selling... <laughs> <laughs> we got wax cylinders. We got eighty-one, seventy-eight John for Kale music and uh, some Gene loves Jezebel. Is that in the same family? Do you know? <laughs> this is the super furry animals section. Is it like a family-owned? Oh, like is it a family business? I don't. I, oh, I don't know off offhand. No, sorry. I mean, we could look it's deeper. Fine. It's called Spillers, I believe. It's built into the side of a cave. <laughs> All they sell are Master of Puppets tapes that have been <laughs> lettering scrawled off. <laughs> I'm just saying I have that on my list now as a, you know an avid record store guy. Like I want, I'll definitely make a beeline towards that record store first chance I get. Yeah, I want. I want to go to Wales now. Go to this record store. I'm, I'm definitely. I'm. If you take that plate, Rob, I'm on it with you. So I think uh, Wales Chamber of Commerce. You owe us a cut for, you know, advertising. Right. All right. Two flights, two flights to Wales, please. Well, folks, did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Let us know. We would love to hear from you. We've been getting some nice uh, chatter through our email address at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. That's 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. We would love to hear about it. 
now all that's next is to look ahead to what we're going to do next week. Rob, I'm, I'm told that you are in possession of the Albinator this week. I don't know if it's like a piano yeah. where you need like three people to move it from Tom's place to yours. <laughs> Nonetheless, <laughs> what do you got for us? Yeah, let's 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 spin ye old wheel here and see what we're going to be what the tenor of our next week's going to look like. Drum roll, please. Next week's record will be Kid Rocks, Devil Without a Cause. Oh, fucking A. Wait, Kid Rock? <gasps> like, good luck with that one, guys. They actually put a Kid Rock record on. They were like, down. you know you know who we don't need? <laughs> I mean, if we, Kid Rock, <laughs> okay, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Screw that Harry Belafonte, but Kid Rock. <laughs> yeah, the meters, you know, pioneers of New Orleans soul <laughs> funk. They're, they don't belong out here, but fucking Kid Rock does. <laughs> Harry Belafonte, he's so so. Kid Rock, that's where that's it's amazing. at. Amazing, I'm excited. In the absence of a Limp Biscuit album, we have to have some representation <laughs> of that fantastic genre that emerged from like 2002 <laughs> right or something. The, this is where Kate Bales from this whole experiment, the rap metal <laughs> crossover genre. Thank God that that existed. <laughs> well, look, let's not give away the lead here. We want to build some suspense and make people listen. <laughs> We will be objective and... Uh, I can't promise that. <laughs> right. Are we going to like it? <laughs> Adam, you're going to be in it for the vocal harmonies, I'm sure. <laughs> really? Hey, I'm going in fresh. I'm going in fresh, guys. I have not heard this one. <laughs> I haven't heard it either, but I have a guess. As if if you guys run across the... Uh... Yeah, if anyone has listened to that front to back, I, I would actually be shocked. So, Well, folks, with that, I have been Alan... I'm Adam. I'm James. I'm Rob. And I'm Kate. Boosh.